Oh, hey, you. Um, yeah, you back there in front of the computer uh, working on that code. Uh, could you please deploy that, please? It's Friday, and it's the best day of the week to deploy your code. So, hey, here we are again. I'm Robert Douglas. It's Deploy Friday. We've got an exciting episode. Um, you're going to really want to deploy that code and stop coding and, and, and just pay attention here because I guarantee you by the end of this episode, you're not going to even want to go near your computer. You're going to be so scared of the threat level that that represents that you're not even going to want to put your fingers on it because you're going to think like gremlins are going to come out and bite them off or something like that. Anyway, that's how I imagine the world when I think of cybersecurity. That's an insight into Rob's brain here. It's a very terrifying place. Uh, so to maybe help assuage my fears, I've got three uh, eminent guests from the cybersecurity realm uh, that I'll introduce shortly who are going to help me understand and hopefully also you understand what that threat level actually looks like in today's day and age, uh, as we all are even more and more and more, and hey, this just came today, more and more connected to the internet in every possible way, uh, what, what could go wrong uh, when there are bad people out there trying to do bad things? So without further ado, let me introduce to you Jane Franklin, Eliza May Austin, and Frida Shahid, who are all joining me today from different parts of the world and England to talk about Cybersecurity. So let's go through uh, and, and do some more proper introductions. Let's start with you, Jane. Where are you? Who are you? What do you do? Let's <clears throat> see. So my name's Jane. This feels like some kind of like dating show or something. That, <laughs> <laughs> that would make me a very lucky person. <laughs> um, yeah. So hi, everyone. It's really good to be here. My name is Jane. I am based in the United Kingdom in England and I have been in cybersecurity for 23 years. I'm a cybersecurity entrepreneur, a best-selling author, um, award-winning entrepreneur and keynote speaker. And I have spent a long time building, um, 16 years building a, a penetration testing company, which is um, kind of more commonly known as ethical hacking. Eliza's gonna talk more about that um, in a few minutes. I spent 16 years doing that, building a business, and then going on to really work with other people in cybersecurity, so to help them predominantly build their own businesses and scale up. And I work with a lot of leaders. I have helped a, a lot of people through accreditation companies and um, organizations and forums um, in the industry. I'm featured in the press and the media quite a lot, so the Financial Times, the Times, um, the Guardian and other papers like that. And I'm very well known for spreading a message which is all about um, why the world will be safer, happier, and more prosperous when we get more women into cybersecurity and other male-dominated industries. My book is all about that and why and how women see risk in a different way and all the, the changes that we need to make. So I do a lot of work with that. I do a lot of research and I also act as a bit of a women's activist, um, being a voice for, for the voiceless. And I judge a whole load, load of awards as well. So that's kind of who I am. Over to who, Farida? Amazing. Thanks, Jane. Yeah, sure, How Farida. How do we follow up from that one? <laughs> I was like, you know, I will just take my leave from the show at this moment right now. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, my name is Farida Shaheed. I'm an award-winning online safety educator. I basically help parents and caretakers protect their kids online. That's something I love to do. I'm an avid gamer. Just take my background in gaming and then cybersecurity awareness and threat intelligence to help parents protect their kids in the digital age. Um, I'm a Forbes 30 under 30 honoree. I'm on the Forbes board. I've been in Cisco and NASA, Fox 25, Fox 46, WFMJ. There's some articles that are coming out, but I can't talk about it. It's so exciting. <laughs> so I, my main, main focus is to make sure that we're protecting the world that kids live in and that we're protecting ourselves. And I look at it through a holistic manner. So that means giving the kids or yourself the freedom that you want and you deserve and the safety and security that you need. So that's me. And, Amazing. And not my show at all, but I'm so interested in the overlap between child safety and gaming and you are a gamer that does child safety because that is such an area of um so social engineering in terms of um molestation and um stuff i won't go into that because it's exactly. really depressing but 
Oh, that's super interesting. How, how about we start with who you are, Eliza May? Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, I I um, started a nonprofit organization called Ladies Hacking Society based in the UK. Um, I live in Yorkshire, um, which is the north. I think in America, we would be the hillbillies. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, so I run a nonprofit organization, Ladies Hacking Society, it's spread over five different regions. Um, and we concentrate on creating a technical space for women to um, learn about more technical aspects of cybersecurity. Um, so a lot of fun. Um, we've got a few thousand members, which is awesome. Um, we'd love to spread internationally, but um, too busy at the moment because I'm also running a company. So um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of something called That Security Company. Um, ridiculously. How do you spell that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculously, it's spelled in leet. So you can see just above where my really round face is, um, the, the title of my company. And honestly, what a nightmare. Literally, me and my business partner came up with that name when we were drunk. Um, <laughs> registered the domain and we were like, well, there's no going back now. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Let's start with you, Eliza May. I'm going to call on you to satisfy a deep and pressing need in my mind. What is cybersecurity? What do we talk about when we just use that word? It seems rather broad. What does it mean? Oh, no, it's a really good question. It is It is broad, and it's broad for a reason, because it encompasses um, computer security, um, data security, network security, um, the security of physical computers, security of phones, the security of information in web applications, um, the security in how we talk about business. So, you know, if you're on a train and you're having a conversation with someone about something and someone's listening, there's a social aspect to it as well. So cybersecurity as a term is broad, um, but it is broad for a reason. It has to cover a lot of different avenues of data. Okay. Uh, and um, what what does the cyber mean actually? I I always think about oh, nobody cyber. Knows. I mean, what, <laughs> does that word have a meaning? Oh, I suppose it, computers. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, what do you think, Jane? It's more it's more online. I mean, this yeah. industry has evolved, and and with it, I mean, it's a new industry, but it's evolved, and so has the language with it. So say when I came into this industry years back, you know, 23 years ago, it was called IT security and or, or information security or network security because that's predominantly what it was. Whereas as the years have evolved, it's, it's become known as, and there's definitely an echo going on in the background, but it's become known as cybersecurity. And from what I understand, which kind of is just as Eliza has, has um, said, it's kind of bringing all of these different elements into that one pot, that one term. And I'm really sure that that word originated from the US and I think that it came about really to secure funding. So it was catchy, it was great for raising funds and things like that. That's what I've been led to believe over, over the years, but it has had different names. And there's also like, when you're in security, there is a bit of a backlash between the kind of, um, academics or the hardcore um, security people who are really against the word cybersecurity because they don't believe that it actually really defines what what we do. Just like in the well, I was going to say just in the old days, like when it was called penetration testing, and it wasn't really penetration testing; it was security assessment. You know, so the language evolves along with with the industry. So right now, it's kind of really the word that we tend to use unless we're talking to older security people, is cybersecurity. So con continue on, Jane. Um, as the, the one of the senior veterans in the industry, uh, what threats and what dangers is this industry protecting us from? Well, uh, a whole load of, of, of threats. So from you as an individual um, using... Um, computer devices, um, as as nations, as in terms of warfare and things like that. So it's literally individual, country, and and business businesses. So it's those three kind of areas um, that we kind of are out there protecting and dealing with. And 
you know, I was watching this program on, I think it was BBC the other night, actually, and um, so a program in the UK, I'm not sure if anywhere else in the world can, can get this particular program, but it was looking at AI and machine learning, and and it was, like most things, pretty terrifying. You know, for me, as someone who works in this industry, as someone who works in security, it's just like, oh my God, we are becoming more and more connected. I think right now it's like we're boiling the frog. So we are slowly being boiled alive and we don't really realize it. Or even if we do, there's very little that we can do about it. You know, so a lot of where we're moving to now, I think, is more ethics. So what can we do? What do we want to do? Um, and, and how can we, to a certain extent, protest if need be? You know, so when governments decide that they are going to um, put surveillance cameras on you without your permission or develop technologies to with ai to define certain characteristics and we're not in control of that um it, it's 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 horrible i mean you're shaking your head for reader to me this is this is um uh, terrifying is the word that i want to use and so being in security we have we have um a job to do in terms of trying to influence and steer um, countries and other more impactful influencers into making the right decisions or even us coming together collaboratively to put pressure on governments and and other things that are going on so to be that that voice that collective to do the right thing and to it, it's about freedom mentioned a word which is definitely really important to me and it's the word freedom you know so i think everyone's um, view of freedom is, is going to be different, but we are in security, securing the world's freedom. That's what we do. And that's our responsibility. And e each and every one of us here, we have a great time. It's fun and everything like that. I love being in technology. It's so interesting. But we have that responsibility to, to go out there and make sure that we are securing, securing the world's freedom. So that got big really fast. We went from threat levels to governments yeah. protecting our rights, ethics with AI, and universal freedoms. <laughs> let's let's step back step back a bit. When I think about cybersecurity, and this might be a misconception of mine, and uh, maybe the three of you can speak to this a little bit, maybe with your own individual um, experiences. But uh, for me. When I think about the topic of cybersecurity, I've always thought about it through the lens of a programmer, and I have a bit of a programming background, uh, and what you learn to make sure that nobody can, for example, insect, uh, inject something into your MySQL or run a script uh, on your website that wasn't authorized to run there or hack your password. Okay, so these are fairly technical things. And if you look behind any of like the, the, the attack vectors there, even the simplest ones are fairly technical, like jumbling up a whole bunch of characters into an encoding that will get interpreted in into a different context and do something, boom, right? Like little Bobby drop tables, okay? <laughs> uh, is this a really, really technical industry? Um, and Jane's shaking her head right off and Frida just shook her head. Some of it is, you know, it, some of it is, you know, and it, it is very diverse and it's become more diverse as the attack um, scenarios have changed. So you've just spoken about some that are more technically orientated, but we can also have attack scenarios to, to go out there and um, infiltrate a company or steal from an individual or whatever that are not technical. So we're having to look at all of the, the threat landscape across m many, many different mediums, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to let Eliza or, or Farida talk. But well, I'm going to call on Farida specifically because um, in the introductions before we broadcast Farida, you said um, that, uh, or maybe in the introductions even that you are focusing on um, children and that you have a gaming uh, background and that sounded very interesting. And you also shook your head when I asked if it was technical. So how technical is what you do? Are you really a, a technical hacker? No, I wanted to be actually. And that's something I talked about. I talk about sometimes is that when I first joined the industry, I thought I had to be technical. I didn't honestly know that there was any other path. I just thought, okay, I had to be technical. And the biggest thing and the most coolest thing was to be an ethical hacker. And so that's what I wanted to be. 
And I realized that I was only doing it for ego purposes versus impact purposes. And for me, anytime you're operating off of ego, then you're not, you're, you're killing yourself inside. And then you are not giving the, your best self to the community and you're not really making an impact in the world. So I had to step back and do a lot of internal work and decide that I need to operate based off of impact, based off of experience, based off of love, based off of giving something back to the community. And so I stopped going through the ego route. And the reason being is because, especially because we don't have a lot of women in security, you kind of get pushed into doing extremely technical rules so that you can show the men, you can show the guys that girls can do it too. And that's my thing. And I realized that, mm, no, I'm not operating that mindset. I'm operating in what I believe is best for me. And so I shifted, but I didn't know I could shift. I only was shifted. I only shifted when I got my corporate job in security because I didn't know because I went through the college route. And in a college, they don't really talk about everything that you can do in security. It's kind of just one road, one well, a couple of ways, but they all involve highly technical things, which makes sense. But you're not really understanding what actually goes on. So many of the people I went to college with, they personally were not protected themselves online, but they were insecurity so <laughs> there is there is like a little of a balance and harmony but all in all to say that no it depends on what you want to do and i absolutely love people i love teaching i love gaming of course i've been always been a gamer so that i married all of those together to create an impact and i love what i do and if i were if i had been an ethical hacker i would have hated it every second of it i just would have so done it what's the threat that you address sorry to cut you off uh, what's <laughs> no, the what's the threat that you are if, if you could just like strike one threat off the list and just slay it right now what's the biggest threat that you concern yourself with from day to day when you're protecting other people kids talking to strangers online like predators mm. if predators were not to be a thing then i believe parents would be at more at peace and I'd be more at peace because then we'd be like, okay, whew, that's a huge thing lifted off our shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that sounds like a horrible threat and it's not something that I would necessarily have thought is a cyber threat. So how does that come together as a cyber threat and what, what, with, with, what, what, what's the bad stuff that happens out there? I, I'm really curious. I mean, the, the threat must be very big or you wouldn't care so passionately about it. What, what happens to people? So predators, of course, can be hackers. I mean, they will hack into kids' accounts. They will groom kids online to get their information. So they'll be like, they want to know where they live or a picture of the kid or where they go to school or what their parents are, what the family looks like. So I I, I suppose when I say predators, I also mean some of these hackers as well. <laughs> Our ent entire industry would be down if we took the predators slash hackers out. So it really is because they are going to kids. And a lot of kids don't understand, obviously, they don't understand how to stay safe online, but they're also operating within a household where the household doesn't even know security and they don't know safety as well. So the parents, of course, they are concerned about their kids talking to a stranger, but they don't understand the stranger's skill set and what the stranger could do. So I just had an incident that I talked about online where this predator went and hacked into this girl's Snapchat and then got pictures of her in a bikini, but then photoshopped it as if she was naked and use that to blackmail her entire contact list. So those are the things that can happen and those are some of the threats. Okay, that sounds pretty horrible. It is. So in that case, it's uh, individuals and the, 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 the methodology is some sort of social engineering to get something to extort money from this family. Um, so uh, let's let's talk about some other threats. I'm just going to go off the top of my head about some that I'm aware of, and uh, you can tell me how scared I should be of these things. So there's a thing like ransomware on your website. Okay, I, I actually uh, had a, a site that I was hosting that got hacked, and the people told me, um, and I was quite amused uh, that they were going to deface my site um, unless I transferred some money. Uh, to their Bitcoin wallet. And I was like, really amused because I was like, how many people can actually figure out how to transfer money to a Bitcoin wallet? I mean, that, that sounds really hard. <laughs> I was like, I've, I don't even do that, right? So, uh, you know, after 
pondering this, I regenerated the site as a static site, put it on a read-only uh, file, and republished it. And I was done with that. But I don't think everybody has that response. How big is this thread out there? I don't commonly hear um, much about websites being hit by ransomware. I don't know if if you guys have. Um, I see ransomware as more of um, a targeted attack on um, through a phishing campaign, so through phishing emails that would get into an environment, whether that's a cloud or on-prem environment, and then spread throughout the network, um, encrypting files, encrypting operating systems and hard drives. Um, so I think I don't think that's massively common to have a website um, attacked with the sole purpose of um, you know locking that down. But the way you got around that really well, you can't do anything different. Make sure you've got a backup of the information that's on there and set it up again. Like if you've got everything um, as hardened as it can be, you know, if you're using a hosting site like GoDaddy or um, Wix or something like that. Or Platform SH is a really good one for this, by the way. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and I, actually, I actually think Wix is a hardware shop, so I don't know what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, if you have if you have those things, there's settings on there that you can quickly Google. They try and make it as easy as possible. And I think if you're not confident at keeping your site hardened, don't use something that requires consistent manipulation, consistent updating. Um, you know, go go with a, a platform that's you know cookie cutter, bing bang bosh. So there you go. Um, I think that's a way around that. Know your limitations and and work to within them if it comes to safety, especially if you're handling. So you used to, you used a word phishing that I put up here on the screen. What does that mean actually? Because it is, it it's, phonetically yeah. sounds like I'm going to have a really good time out on the pond. But so it's spelled P H I S H I N G. What does yeah. it mean? Um, so it's I don't know why it's with a PH, because I always think of phishing as um, so you're sending out emails, um, hoping someone clicks on them. If you've ever had an email that's been like, oh, hi, I am um, stuck in Bahrain and I just need a lovely lady to send me some money or whatever. Um, if you ever get an email like that, that's phishing. OK, not not very sophisticated one, but um you know, on, on the flip side, let's say that um, you have a finance company and they have a supplier that supplies them with um, chairs and they have a big office full of these chairs. Now, if that chair supplier were to get compromised, as in an attacker were able to get into them, that would be significantly easier than, say, the big finance company because they don't have the same budget, they don't have the same um, um, processes in place um and they don't have the same standards that they have to adhere to so that would be an, a really good way to get in and target them with whether it's through their website or through an email now once they're in what they could do is conduct a targeted phishing attack where they would um they'd aim at their original target the finance company but it would look like it's coming from an approved supplier on their approved suppliers list that's bob from the chair supplier and he's sending me an invoice ah we must have um we must have bought some chairs this year off him so probably a terrible analogy and a really bad example but that is another way that more advanced phishing can happen it looks like it's from someone that you work with you've spoke to this person before you know that they legitimately work there they're on linkedin their account's just been compromised so there's different um degrees of phishing but essentially it's sending out emails and seeing what comes back right and you can spoof the sender on an email i know that because our company uh, has been targeted for phishing attacks recently with, I, I, I kind of alluded to this in the, in the, the, uh, the description of the episode, um, where presumably our CEO is asking us as individuals to send him money, which is kind of funny because I don't, <laughs> it's like, if anything, it would be the other way around, right? Like, <laughs> hello, Fred, I need a raise, right? Not the other way around. It doesn't work that way. I didn't work at this company to pay the CEO, but actually that type of attack seems to be effective. Uh, do a lot of people fall for these? Is this a really lucrative business? Yeah, it is. It is. It's the number one. So 95% um, of attacks originate from, from human error or things like phishing. So it is the number one. Ransomware is is another like highly effective form of attack. And we've seen it really rise during COVID and the pandemic. 
and and then supply chain attacks, which we kind of all talked about, you know, where where attackers are kind of going after the suppliers. So who are providing to to the vendors and actually getting in to the system that way. Those are common forms of attack. And then they're also going after open source um, as well. So again, like, how can you to me, this is like really um, worrying as well when when they're infiltrating open source technologies and things like that. How can you tell who's a good a good um, person and, and who's not, you know, and then when you think how many companies are actually using open source technologies, um, it's it's a real worry. It's a real worry. And there's a creative. I think open source, you know, yeah, if um, if you've got containers, for example, that um, are open to the public and anyone can manipulate them and stuff, you know, yeah. really dangerous. But I think um, the open source community do a really good job of um, peer reviewing, you know, there's, there's ways of checking hashes and um, checking signatures of different pieces of software and stuff. And all that is, all that guidance is, is on there. And I think a big problem when it comes to insider threat is that we cut corners. And when you've been in a job for 20 years, um, you think, oh, well, you know, I, I know what I'm doing with this. And actually um, using a technology that you use every day in the wrong way at some point may lead to your downfall. But, um, you know, but there's it's, all. It's not even just that even. So, you know, yes, absolutely. That scenario can happen. But it's also the fact that so many who work in security are under-resourced and tired so they are not all stressed and we know this goes on there the 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 data actually around stress um is is pretty horrific so we have um a scenario like eliza has just um spoken about plus tired stressed self-medicating um people who God, you know me well you <laughs> <laughs> know it's true. It's just like that our biggest one of our biggest problems is, is the environment, and it's just like we need to be able to make better decisions and be faster, more agile, more resilient, so we bounce back quicker and we don't get as disrupted as we are now. Plus, also be more creative so that we can come up with um, uh, technologies or processes or ways to stop attackers getting what they want. Um, and, and with the with the attackers or, or um, those who are coming after us, you know the the, the threat levels and things like that. Um, it's not it's it's not they have a much easier job of that. Our job is to protect and defend. Attackers only have to find one way in, so it's much much easier for them. And then with the dark web, there is so much available for them. They have access to businesses that are very effectively run and they can source whatever technologies for 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 or even hackers you know for whatever price they want you know so darkware so this is this is bad software well the dark web so it's 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 a place ah. where you can go and and get access to all sorts of things you know whether it is technologies um or whether it's guns and weapons or um, child pornography or, or whatever it is, you know, there's a lot of, of things that they can Stop get. advertising it, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I know much about that. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Whatever, it's, it's, whatever. It, it sounds like a place where even showing up makes you suspicious. Yeah. 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 And, and also, I think to a certain extent, maybe under threat yourself, you know, so yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I'm hearing a very nuanced story. On the one hand, I know that people are attacking websites and computers with automated technology-based attacks. I see those in my access logs, right, uh, for my own websites. I know that there's a, a near constant set of attackers trying to break into my websites. And fortunately, I don't really have to worry about that very much. And we all know that there are things like Wi-Fi attacks. So don't use a public Wi-Fi without encryption, without, you know, there, there, there are all sorts of like little tips and tricks that we have that allude to threats that exist that we can more or less mitigate with some very simple actions. But then I'm hearing uh, with, you know, the phishing and the supply chain attacks, social engineering attacks that actually 
there, there are people, you know, it's not like the techers are hiding behind some little automated machine pinging me with nasty packets. It's like they're actually in plain view. They're like knocking on my door and, and talking to me, so to speak, in the virtual world. They're writing me emails, right? <laughs> they're like they're totally directly talking to me. So this sounds similar, um, Frida, to the situation that you're trying to solve with your advocacy or for children. Is that true? You probably focus mostly on the the social aspects of that because I mean you, you're not gonna you're not gonna tell a child to log into their VPN, right? <laughs> tell the parent to <laughs> but not the kids but it, when it when it comes to that yes it's a lot of communication but then we get into tech because parents will put tech on their kids devices that may be good or maybe bad and they they would more rather monitor their their activities because if they're monitoring then they can see what's going on so that's what we're seeing and for predators i mean there are steps that parents can take to protect their kids but sometimes we're talking about kids who are like in middle school and high school. And so many times they may be more tech savvy than their parents. And so they get around certain things. So my main thing is teaching the parents the foundational security things, but also encouraging them to build a relationship and connection with their kid because they can't monitor everything. And as scary as it, as it sounds to have um, a predator going after your kids, it's even scarier when your kid will not talk to you about it or you're not, you're not involved in that process, or you can't even, you, you're not able to get through to them because they have their own mind. So we are talking about social, we're talking about psychology, we're talking about being there. And so when I talk about security, I look at it from the heart and soul point of view, which sounds crazy because we're, we're going, it's, a, it's an umbrella <laughs> right now. We went through so many different topics. And for me, that's what I'm the most passionate about because in order to change people, you have to change the condition of their heart. And there's research that came out that's saying heart, your heart just, your heart actually makes decisions just as much as your brain does. So my thing is getting through people's heart. And heart meaning, how do you communicate with other people? So even when I was talking about um, fighting against social engineering with other people, so when we're, when we're trying to educate the public on phishing or social engineering attacks, we have to talk to them as if they're as smart as they actually are and also talk in a way that they can understand because they're maybe in finance or they're a teacher or they got a master's degree in science but they have no idea what the hell you're talking about <laughs> when you're talking about cybersecurity. so really breaking down concepts and being there with them and not being condescending because that's something we see a lot in the industry because we're working a lot with technology and threats and we feel like everyone should know this. We're always talking about this. Haven't you heard this news and that news and this hack and that hack? And we realize we don't. We're not realizing that while people hear about it, they don't. They don't understand how it deals with them in their daily life and how their actions can affect those type of things. So, I mean, think about health. We all know what we're supposed to do to be healthy, but um, are we doing it? Like, I need to drink a lot of water. Do I do it? No, but I have it right now. <laughs> so it's a heart. So let me ask you a. Let me ask you a concrete question because um, you you mentioned that you encourage parents to like build this relationship with their children. I, I read a interesting Twitter thread or yeah, uh, maybe on Reddit. It was a discussion about a parent, and I think he said that he ha was monitoring all of his child's internet traffic on the router, <laughs> and uh, to keep them safe, ostensibly. And maybe there was some validity to that with, uh, you know, the reports that you're giving me about, you know, the predation that's going on there. But what people were saying to him was that what does he value more, his child's ability to trust his father <laughs> or the ability to make sure he doesn't see any one bad website on the Internet? So, I mean, how do you coach people in that situation to find a balance, somebody who is clearly technically savvy enough to understand what the threat is, technically savvy enough to take some means to protect in some way the child, but in other people's eyes is violating the child's trust. So yeah, that is, that's another heart issue too. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it is, but it actually is. So for me, I take a harmony approach with it. I don't believe in monitoring as a foundation to security. I just don't. However, I do believe that there are situations where you are going to have to monitor your kid, whether you like it or not, or they like it or not. 
And those things are exceptions to the rule and in, in, in how I go about it when I'm talking to parents. I don't parent shame someone when someone is monitoring their kids every move. I just don't. I don't say that's not what you're supposed to do. You're a terrible parent. You're not building trust because that that's not good either on my end or their end. I usually talk about it in a holistic way because what it does is if you're searching for something, you're going to find it. <laughs> if you if you and your brain is you're going to want to find something to justify all of your time, and all of your energy spent on trying to find this one thing that's going to go wrong. So I like to operate in a mindset of, okay, we're protecting the joy and the freedom versus we're seeking out the bad. Because when your mindset is seeking out the bad, all you see is bad. And then all you get is bad. And so for me, I operate in that mentality of, no, there are crazy stuff happening and you are absolutely right to be so afraid. And there are some amazing things and your kid is having so much fun online. Let's protect their fun from all these bad stuff that are happening. So how can we do that? So that's a shift of mindset. That well, how do you do that without without monitoring? How do you, you protect, do. how do you do that without monitoring? You can do that without monitoring. So there are certain things where the technology will be monitoring, but they don't show you any of the alerts. So that's how they, that's how they get parents. They're like, you know what? We're gonna save time, we're gonna save money. We're gonna monitor your kids for you, but we're not going to tell you exactly everything that happens unless it raises a red flag. So that red flag could be cyberbullying, that could be suicide, that could be predatory behavior, that could be a porn site, inappropriate content, those type of things. You can do it without monitoring your kids. However, you can do it with monitoring your kids too. I say it really depends on your family and your values. But one thing that's across the board, no matter if you're monitoring your kids or you're not monitoring your kids, is trust and integrity and communication over control. So you can monitor your kids, but you can make the foundation communication and the foundation trust. So instead of monitoring your kids and saying, I'm monitoring to make sure that you're not doing anything bad, what you can do is say, hey, there are some crazy things in the world. I would never let you go to the park by yourself and then you come back home. This is five miles away. Why not? Don't you trust them? What do you mean? So you trust them to go to the park by themselves, but you wouldn't trust them. Like what, what I don't understand is, where like where is the boundary so they can't do i just don't understand where the boundary is if you if you can't identify where the problems are how do you know that you can trust them when they're a child so you would teach your child not to um get in a stranger's car not to speak to a stranger not to um go into someone's house um not to let someone else's parent touch them at a sleepover you teach them all of these things but then you just go free reign do what you want online whereas if you were if you were monitoring you'd be able to have those conversations and when they're old enough to move out they don't need that anymore no i don't see any harm in it at all there's a difference between control and monitoring and i know that oh go ahead jane yeah i mean as a parent of three so I've, i've brought three kids up um with 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 technology and things like that you have to as as you just said eliza you've got to adopt and i know frida is going to say the same thing but more you've got to educate them and you've got to educate them about the dangers and how do you know if it worked though um you don't you're not going to know any there's there's control and monitoring yeah, you're going to be having conversations with them. So if you start them at an early age, just like you would do, don't go off with strangers, don't accept sweets from strangers or things like that. It's the same type of thing with with um, our digital world now. It's just like you start them off really young so that they become, this is the ideal scenario, um, that they become aware of that. So I didn't monitor my kids, but I had access to technology in a place where I was so I could see what they were doing. So one, they were brought up with awareness. Two, also the technology devices that they were using. uh, Well, everyone's got your knowledge on this issue. So for the majority of parents, if they know how to um, check the logs on their local, on their router in their house, that would be significantly easier. I don't think it would would actually be easier than actually talking to them and and going through the dangers. Why can't you do both? Well, yeah, you can. I I don't. It comes down to exactly as Farida said. It's a personal choice. It's a par- personal. Parent. You could say a curfew was a was impingement on their freedom, though, couldn't you? 
I want to stay out until 10. Well, yeah, but as, no, as a person who was a kid once, I can definitely say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll get over it. They'll be fine. It comes down to risk. It comes down to your personal uh, parenting style. It comes down to your values. So it's I just. I was just thinking, like, in terms of, like, what Farida was saying earlier with gaming. So there was um, a big rise in the grooming of boys for sexual exploitation, um, sort of, like, 2015 and onwards, um, because PC gaming boomed. They'd be there with their headset on, having a full-blown conversation with some bloke, like, day after day after day after day, and they would build a legitimate friendship yeah. with this yeah. person. Yeah. And then the next step is, oh, like, let's just meet. And the whole yeah. entire process has been orchestrated by a paedophile on the other end. So yeah. they're, they're sat there, they're gaming, they're on. Uh, and and, 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 and we've, had murders. we've had murders, actually. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, year old boy. Uh, yeah I, I just, it's yeah. a really strange situation to be in. But I think. I, I do think like if you are monitoring a teenager because you feel like you have to or a child because you feel like you have to, I don't think that that should be called control because unless you're, you know, tell, going through the, the logs every single day and asking them to write a report or tell you exactly what those things were, I don't see that that's an control issue. Control isn't bad though, but my thing is control no. isn't bad. So mm -hmm. I, I take away, I separate monitoring and control. To me, control is controlling their environment. So blocking certain websites, blocking yeah. certain pictures, making sure they're not getting access to things that they should only get access to when they're getting older and they're in college. That's mm. that's controlling their environment. And it's totally fine. They, they're kids. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're the parent. You have to control their environment. That's your, enti your entire thing is to guide that. And then monitoring is looking at their every move and knowing exactly what's happening and what, who they're talking to and those things. And you can understand those things without monitoring every single thing. I understand parents who decide I'm not monitoring, period. But I will put some controls, meaning the chat's going to be off. Um, your account is going to be connected to my account. Your TikTok is connected to my TikTok, whatever it is, so that if something were to happen, I'm able to access your account. Or you, you bought the phone for them. <laughs> Take it back. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. they don't have access to that. So, Or you can look through it. If something goes wrong or you feel like their behavior has changed because most likely they may be talking to someone, or they, they got an attitude or something happened or they're, whatever it is, you're the parent, you can notice a shift in their energy, then you can go, you know what, we're gonna have to sit down and have a conversation. I don't know what's going on, but you're being a little bit secretive with this. When it comes to gaming, kids should not be gaming by themselves in the room, unless you believe your kid is extremely mature and they're in high school and they're totally fine. If you, you build the trust and that's what you wanna do, sure. But as your kids, you wanna know what's happening, what games are they playing, what parental controls you can put inside of the game. So there are ways around not monitoring and there's ways that you can, but you don't want to monitor in secret because when you monitor in secret, then that's Oh, I wouldn't. Bad. I'd be like, I'm monitoring everything you're doing. Right. Yeah. And they don't should do, do it. That. That's the Does it is, is it enough to just say that? Do you actually have to do it? I mean, yeah, son, I, I know so much about computers. I'm monitoring everything you're doing. <laughs> and then like your job's done, right? Yeah. I mean, unless they do something to test you out and you don't react and then they go, okay, this is crazy. They didn't react. They're clearly not monitoring me. But like, but uh, it's, it's, it's totally, my thing is no matter yeah. what you do, have a foundation of integrity and foundation of um, trust. So yeah. they should, it should not be, oh, this is a spyware program that's hiding in your kid's um, phone that they don't see. No, it should like, no, ma'am, sir, I am monitoring your stuff. <laughs> and the reason why I'm doing it is X, Y, and Z, so they know. So that once they grow up, they understand the concept because if they don't understand why, all they're doing is they're, they're it's, it's just, it's constant friction. And what you want them to do is understand because when you're not there, they need to be operating in a security mindset. Because what we forget sometimes is that these kids are their own soul, their their own heart, their own human being. And the predator are, is looking at them from that way. And the way that they're being groomed is because that's my friend. So when we talk about, oh, for preventing them from talking to strangers or don't talk to strangers or don't give your information to strangers, like you said, Eliza, that's not a stranger to them. They've been talking to them for weeks or months or years. That's not a stranger anymore. That's their friend. So now you have to go, who is this person? Let's do some research. And so for me, it's a holistic point of view in order to get them there because they're going to turn into adults and they're going to learn how they have to know how to protect themselves as well. 
So what happens when you're not monitoring? If you're just monitoring and controlling, but you have very little conversation, very little connection, very little trust and values, when you stop monitoring, they're going to go, ooh, heaven, I can do whatever I want. Versus understanding, uh uh-uh, these are the things that I'm not supposed to do. These are the things I should be doing. And here's how to operate in the world that mommy and daddy or whoever you are in the relationship is not, they're not there. So Eliza, you just texted in our chat that you have a interesting uh, fishing story. Um, do you want to want to tell us what that is? That's... I didn't. I didn't want to jump in because like what <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't mean to interrupt. But but, but yeah. if you have an interesting story, let's hear it. What what, well, what goes on? Jane, in the world? Will, Jane will certainly know this one as well. Really, really funny. Um, so there's a company here in the UK called West Midlands Trains. Um, they did a fishing exercise internally where they sent um, a fake well a real email with fake malware out to everyone as it, within their company as um, an exercise to detect phishing but what they did was they created a really um you know legitimate looking internal email that told all of the staff members because they'd worked so hard during covid they had a raise uh, no they had a bonus they had a covid bonus and everyone was like yes we've got a covid bonus this is amazing and like people start tweeting about it and telling their family and then they're like oh no um no it was it was uh, just a test it's like awful i mean really That's awful terrible. they got absolutely ripped a new one online didn't they but um yeah. oh my god yeah yeah it was so yeah. you just thought that is unbelievably so bad so, like so this was the official company trying to do a cybersecurity prevention exercise without telling the people that they were doing it with and they, they ended up embarrassing to... themselves they no. wanted to see how they would respond if um so like if someone had compromised the network compromised an account and sent out a widespread email but what they ended up doing was just emailing their whole company telling them they had a bonus and then going uh oops <laughs> my bad <laughs> did, did did anybody like try to make it legally binding like hey you just told me i was getting a raise i really want that probably but they went on they they went online and they were like um announcement yes actually it was a fishing exercise and no one apologizing for it but pretty funny so so that that brings me to an interesting uh thought because when you were talking about the responsibility of parents and children and the the balance between fun and education which the internet's good for versus risk which the internet's also surprisingly good at providing. Uh, it, it, it seems to me it, in some way there's a similar balance playing out in the corporate world between the people who are responsible for protecting the company's secrets and the people and the people who are responsible for getting work done. <laughs> and I can personally think back to situations where I've had to install very bad uh, antivirus software on my computer that like ruined my computing experience or work in situations where like uh, there were blacklists of uh, sites that I couldn't visit because they were somehow dangerous. And and in every one of those cases, I always felt as a, a worker that like my ability to function was being impinged on much the way I imagine it, a child would feel if like their computer were shut down because it's too dangerous for them. Um, how do you have those conversations when you're talking to, for example, a company that wants you to help bolster their security profile? All defense has to align with the business needs. If it doesn't, it's not good defense. There's, there's The only way you're going to be 100% secure is for, through turning your, like not using the internet, not using a computer. The only way that you you would 100% guarantee no one's ever going to try and break in your house is if you blocked the doors and windows off with concrete. Um, and even then, if someone had a bulldozer and enough uh, enough um, you know requirement, then maybe they would. So you're never going to be in a position where you're 100% secure. You have to accept that, and you have to align everything that you do to operations. So if, um, for example, you don't want things getting out on social media then limit who uses social media, but maybe your advertising and marketing team, um, your customer relations team, all those will need to have access to social media, um, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all those different things, recruitment will as well. So you have to align things by a different department, need um, and requirement for the role. And I think that's the best you can do on that. 
And it, it comes down to knowing your risk and also what, what strategy you're going to adopt. So some might say absolutely categorically, we're not allowing our, our employees to use these technologies and be really rigid with that. Not allowed. This is how we work. These are only available to you. I don't care what you do. This is just how it is. And then others will be, you can use what you want, but they will approach it through awareness and they will make sure that you understand the risks and become more educated. So in lots of ways, it's very similar to the conversation we were having with Farida about parenting, that monitoring and control and that openness and that awareness inside an organization. But just as Eliza said, you are going to look at it in terms of your operations, what you need to do in order for the business to operate as safely as it can and and the budgets that you have. So what resources do we have, people, processes, technologies and things like that, in order to ensure this business operates as safely as it can? Um, you know, how do we do how do we do that? So whoever is in control of of the security function is going to devise a plan in accordance with what they think is going to be the best way forward. And that can be a whole variety of, of, of ways as so many companies use. Now, Jane, thank you. Um, when you were saying that, it, it reminded me of something that you said in your introduction, which was that you uh, feel that you have a different perspective on risk um, from, I think you said from a woman's point of view, um, correct me if I misquoted, but could, can you explain what you mean? Yeah, so so what I believe is that women see risk in a different way to men. And, and this is what my book was really based upon. So I very much approach um, things from the perspective of diversity. So I'm just looking at it from one particular aspect of diversity, which is women. And the more diversity that we can have, the better we become. So when I when I started to, to write my book, I knew very little. You know, all, all the all that I all the the only things that I had was I'd worked in the industry for a certain amount of years, whether that was 17 years or, or whatever at the time, and I was a woman. But but I had to go out there and do a lot of research to investigate, well, what is going on? How do women see risk in a different way to men? Do they, don't they, and, and, and so on. So from the research that I picked up, which is all kind of um, detailed in, in my book, women do see risk in a different way to, to men. And there have been hundreds and hundreds of reports that actually um, uh, verify, <clears throat> verify that. Um, but, but when it comes to security, we, <laughs> I mean, there'll be loads of reports that, that kind of look at women. It, when we have a mixture of men and women, we do a better job. So together we are better. When there are more women in male-dominated industries, we are more innovative. We stay on track in, in terms of budget much more than compared to just one single gender um, department or organization. But when it comes to security, women and, and women, women are very highly competent at assessing odds. And, and because of that, we see risk in a different way. We're highly competent at evaluating risk. Women are very intuitive. We have typically high social intelligence, high emotional intelligence. We are um, we use our intuition and we can spot things. We can spot anomalies. We are highly detailed in our exploration. So sometimes it can be, <laughs> it just doesn't look right. We can spot patterns. Things don't feel right. And, and when that happens, that's usually because that's the case. So when we have men can be more um, comfortable with risk. It's not that women aren't. Um, but when we have men and women coming together, then we get a better viewpoint on risk and we are better able to make decisions. So we know from research when when we have um, more women coming into a group, uh, we make better decisions 73% of the time. When we have more diversity in that group, so whether that is age, gender, ethnicity, and, and so on, we make better decisions 88% of the time. So what we want in our industry is to get great people and to have as much diversity of thinking and experience as possible. And right now, 
for me, I'm, I, I focus on, on women. So Farida, Eliza May, does that resonate with your experience? Are you hearing kernels of truth there? Not, not that, or not that I want you to tell us. No, Jane, you're you're full of crap. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but I, I think some people might be questioning uh, those uh, assertions. It, does does that resonate with you just uh, at a gut level? It, it does. I mean, when I I first when I first joined the industry, it was through the college route, and I first was doing information technology. And my dad sat with me and he was like, hey, you know what? There's this new industry they're calling cybersecurity now, but it was, you know, information <laughs> security <laughs> before because he was at IT and, you know, they typically do some security things on the side. And he said, you know, you're a, you're a black woman. You're also a Muslim woman. You wear the scarf. You lived in Egypt and Saudi Arabia and Panama. You speak two languages. And if you were to join the industry, there's not a lot of people like you. And so your experience and the diversity that you can bring on a team is highly influential and could be an amazing point for your career. And so I was like, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't know how, but <laughs> I'll, I'll think about it. And so once I did my research and I found what Jane was saying, basically, in all of those studies, and I decided, you know what, I can make an impact. I don't know how, I don't know where. And so once I got into the field, I did see what he was talking about. Because I lived in a different culture, because I grew up, I didn't even grow up in the US, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. Because I grew up in Saudi Arabia, because I'm a woman, because I'm a black woman, because I'm a Muslim woman, I had a completely different view of how we operate and how we can tackle these problems and how other people, when they grew up, someone grew up in Hong Kong, another person grew up in India, another person grew up in Germany. So everyone, someone is in South Africa. So someone brings their different culture and their values and their integrity and the way that they operate to the table it allows us to approach risk in a different way. So I definitely agree with Jane. So, um, okay, so I think in terms of um, diversity and bringing different perspectives to a conversation, you know, we absolutely need to have diversity of thought regardless of what color um, or gender or sex someone is. Um, that's, you know, the most important thing. Um, but I don't see that I, I don't know that I see risk in a different way to um, you, Robert, seeing risk, because I don't know what's in your brain and you don't know what's in my brain. So I don't understand um, how we differ when, when it comes to defining risk. I understand that if you go back to like caveman times, um, you know, a woman probably would be pregnant and breastfeeding and then a uh, lion or something might try and eat her and she's the first line of defense for her and her offspring and a pregnant unborn child and all these things so i think women definitely we have we've got an inbuilt thing to see risk but at the same time if men were out hunting um they would have seen risk in a different way as well so i i think that regardless of um what your position is and whether you're a fan of intersectionality or not i'm i'm not um i don't think that um causes any harm to have diversity in terms of thought um but you know at the same time you could have a room full of women and they'd all a lot of them would have different opinions on on risk and you could have a room full of men white men that would all have um different opinions varying different opinions and i think a, a way to sort of interject a bit of um a, a bit of friction in a conversation which is needed in cybersecurity, you do need to add in people that have got obvious differences to sort of try and instigate that conversation. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for, for example, um, you could have a, a compromise that might have happened in a network. How are we going to handle this? And you may have people that have been in the game a long time all come up with a certain scenario of what they're going to do. And a junior person might be like, well, why don't we just do this why don't we just turn it off and turn it back on again and actually that could be the easiest route so i think in a team um for for the purpose of cyber defense having a hierarchy of people whether it's junior um you know all the way to advanced having people from different backgrounds different class backgrounds regardless of color and regardless of sex regardless of educational background um that that's all really valuable but in terms of um do i see that my risk appetite is different to that of a man's professionally no i don't i there's not any moment in time or meeting i can recall where i've thought thought that it is but that might just be me to be honest 
Well, thank you for all of those perspectives. We are coming to the top of the hour. Now, we started the conversation uh, with the admission that the topic was very broad. And we've kind of proven that in the course of the show, uh, we've established that the risks are not just technical, but they're also social, in fact, maybe predominantly social, and that they're not just about websites uh, or Wi-Fi networks at Starbucks, but they're also about uh, young people playing games or uh, having fun on social networks. Um, and also, if you get any invoices for chairs that you didn't buy, look very carefully at that because you're probably under attack. I'll keep that noted. Uh, you are all three amazing guests. Uh, I would like to dive into seven or eight or 10 of these topics that we've covered uh, at depth, but we just don't have the time for right now. So I'm going to invite everybody to come back next Friday for another episode. And maybe we will find the chance um, uh, with some of you or all of you to go into these topics in more depth at a later point. So thank you, Jane. Thank you, Frida. Thank you, Eliza May. That was really great. Thank, thank you, everybody, you. for watching. Thank you. Yeah. See you next week for Deploy Friday. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.